All right, good morning, guys. It is awesome to be back in church. I should have a disclaimer. Last night, me and a couple of the, the people on staff were at the Indians game. And I don't know if you watched the game, but it was a crazy game. So if my voice cracked throughout the message, it's because I was screaming a lot. Uh, I was, <laughs> one of the things we were screaming, for whatever reason, we started chanting USA, USA, USA. Uh, it had nothing to do with the game, but we did it. So if I, my voice cracked, it's not, um, again, not puberty, it's just that we were screaming a lot yesterday. But we're doing this series on the Ten Commandments, and today we actually get to finish it. So if, uh, if you may put the, the Ten Commandments on the screen, you get to see what we have been covering so far. We talk about not worship any other gods. We talk about not making idols, do not misuse the name of the Lord, remembering the Sabbath day and keep it holy. We talk about how this is the only commandment that is not repeated in the New Testament. Remember, uh, honor your father and your mother, do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not give false witness, and then today's message, do not covet. Now, when you look at that list of the commandments, you may see that nine out of the ten requires an action. That even though we know from the New Testament that the, this commandment starts in the heart, you will, the way that we can tell whether we break them or not is through actions. What we commandment number 10 is harder than that. We actually tell in our hearts. And it's one commandment that if we're not careful, most of us are easily quickly to dismiss it. Because it's a commandment that it becomes subtle. It's a commandment that we're so used to it. So if you have your Bibles, we're going to be in Exodus 20, verse 17. And this is what it says. You shall not covet your, hub- your neighbor, your husband's, your neighbor's wife, or his male servant, or his female servants, or his ox, or his donkey, or anything that is your neighbor's. So we see here a list of things very specifically. He talks about you're not to cover your neighbor's wife. You're not to cover his male servants or female servants, his ox or his donkey. And then if you made it that far and you think you, you, you nailed it, then he adds this disclaimer or anything that is your neighbor's. So in essence, the commandment is do not covet. Now, this commandment, like I said, is something that we all familiarize with. From a very young age, you may remember when you were a kid or if you have kids, you've seen it. How when they play with toys and they have friends around them, they may grab a toy and they're fine with it. But then another, the, time, the, the, the moment that another kid grabs another toy, they forget about that and they run for that toy. They want that toy that someone else has. And you can see very clearly how that is played out on kids. Now the older you get, the more subtle it becomes. Maybe you remember when you were a teenager or you are a teenager and, you're, and you can see how you start coveting because you see your friends at school, their parents are more lenient than your parents. You may think your parents are more strict and you start wishing your parents were as lenient or bear more freely than the ones that you have. Or you can see how your friend has a cell phone and you may want a cell phone yourself. Or they have a car and you start coveting because you want that car. Or then as an adult, now it's even more subtle. You don't, you don't see it directly, and you, you have gone used to this idea of coveting. And the way it's played out for you is different. You're not happy because of the things that you have. You have worked hard, gaining where, being where you are right now, but you still want something more. If you're like me, you, before you go to bed, you start, you start daydreaming, or I guess, what I don't know what you call it, that night dreaming. And you start thinking of all these different scenarios. 
for me, it, used, it started with something very uh, na- or naive or innocent where I used to think of myself, <laughs> I used to imagine myself having superpowers. And that's what I would put myself to sleep to that. But then that naive or small thing become, became more subtle and it led to covenant where then before I went to bed, I would imagine all these different scenarios of things that I've seen other people have that I want in my own life. And I will imagine myself having these things. But for some of us, the way that it comes is out of bitterness. You're bitter, you're unhappy because you see the people around you and you see what they have and you see that you don't have that. And because of that, you're not happy. So we're going to be seeing that this commandment of do not covet is a commandment that the majority of us, if not all of us, are very familiarized with. But what does it mean to not covet? I found it very interesting that the Oxford Dictionary defines coveting like this. It says, it is a, it's to yearn or to possess, to yearn to possess of to, or to have something. Yearn to possess or to have something. That is what the Oxford Dictionary defines coveting. I thought it was interesting because at first glance, there's not really anything wrong with that. I mean, another way that we, would, we can call it is, is thriving, is to have a desire to thrive, is to have a desire for the younger ones, is to have a desire to secure the bag, is to have a desire to do well in life. That is what this Oxford Dictionary will define it. So in essence, there is nothing wrong when it comes to coveting. But that is not really how the Bible describes it. We'll see that the Bible will define it as something even more deep, something more Serious. It's defined as this. It is some. It is. It is the strong, uncontrolled, selfish desire for something that is not rightfully yours. It is the strong, uncontrolled desire, selfish desire for something that is not rightfully yours. That is what coveting means. I thought it's interesting that this is not how this world would define it. To them, this definition is not, it doesn't seem wrong. Like I said, it means that you're a hard worker. It means that you're going after what you want. It means that you are do, trying to be a successful person. Yet, we see that the definition in the Bible is quite the opposite. Anytime that the word covet is being used, it's always followed by a negative connotation. Because it is a strong, uncontrolled desire, selfish desire for something that is not rightfully yours. Now think about the context of this commandment. The nation of Israel had now just left Egypt. They've been in the wilderness for a couple months now. The surrounding nations around them had many things. They had food, they had land, they had possessions, they had armies, they had everything that the nation of Israel could wish they had. In fact, in their journey to the promised land, they wanted to have those things that those nations around them had. And yet we see here the commandment of do not covet. The commandment of do not covet, what it did is that it protected not only their hearts, but it also protected them from breaking the other commandments. If you do not covet for your neighbor's wife, then you're not going to commit adultery. If you do not covet for your neighbor's possessions, you're not going to steal it. And we can say the same thing about each commandment because commandment number 10 helped in protecting all of the other commandments. But more importantly, what the commandment 10 did is that it, it, it prioritized for the nation of Israel to keep their focus 
on God. They had to recognize that God was going to be the only one that was going to satisfy them. That God was going to be the only one that was going to protect them. That God was going to be the only one that was going to provide for them everything that they needed. And if they did not covet, then they didn't have to worry about those nations around them. Those nations that may have had more to offer than what they currently had at that moment. Do not covet. What you and I will come to see is that we are in a similar situation nowadays where we find ourselves in a world, in a culture that is bombarding us with things that at first glance they seem good, that they are good things. But they throw it at our face in such a way that we are persuaded to think or to want them in an uncontrolled way. Uh, we want them right now, right then when we want them. And in doing so, we're led to coveting. So... For us today, it's what are some signs of coveting? This list that we're going to go over is not, a, it's not a limited list. It's a list that I put it there just so that we can come to common ground that all of us in this room at some point in our life have covet or we're currently coveting. And the goal is to recognize that it's it in our lives so then we can deal with it. So the very first one, you are driven or obsessed by what this world has to offer you're someone that your main focus right now is what this world has to offer you. Whether it's your job, whether it's a, a particular possession, you want a new car, so you're working hard. That's all you're doing. That's all what you want right now. You want a car. You want a, you want a healthy marriage. You want a girlfriend. You want a boyfriend. That's all you care about. That's what drives you. That's what you're obsessed about. If you do these things, you are either coveting or you will be, you will be led to coveting. Number two. Your efforts and resources go towards the things of this world over your relationship with God. You see uh, your devotion, you see uh, your time, you see your strengths, you see everything that, all the efforts that you put. If we were to put them in a, in, a, in a spectrum, it would all land on what this world has to offer opposed to what your relationship with God looks like. That's a sign of covenant. Number three, the way you handle yourself represents the world more than your relationship with God. If we were to see how you talk, how you spend your time, how you handle yourself, what will people be able to tell? Are you a Christian or are you more a person that is defined by the very thing that you're trying to get? What defines you? Number four, you are willing to sacrifice your relationship with God over the gains of this world. You are willing to watch porn for the sake, or you're willing to sacrifice your relationship with God for the sake of watching porn. Because you want the desire right there. You're willing to skip a Sunday at church for the sake of you gaining something that this world has to offer. You're willing to sacrifice your devotional that day because of something that come, came up that will get you something that you've been wanting to have. You will see that if you will be covenant if you're willing to sacrifice what your relationship with God over something that this world has to offer. Number five, you will do whatever it takes to get what you want. It doesn't matter whether it's good or bad. It doesn't matter if it's against your integrity. You don't care if it's against your testimony. You want it and you're going to do whatever it takes to get it. That you rejoice when bad things happen to those that have bad things or that, that have things that you want. That person in your, in your, in your work setting that has a lot of things, or that have that ideal position that you want, when that position gets, when that person in that position struggles and now they're not longer able to 
continuing in that role, instead of feeling for them, you get excited because that means that you're getting that job. Your friends, that person that is, if you play sport, that main, the main person in the team, the captain of the team is struggling and you're excited that they're struggling because that means that you may get a chance to become the captain. You, you, it's a sign of covenant if you rejoice when those people around you that has something that you want struggle. Now, number seven, this is out of Romans 12, 15. As Christians, we are very good at mourning with those that mourn. We're really good at coming alongside those people that are struggling in their faith or in their, or in their life because of family loss or because of circumstance in their life. But when it comes to rejoice with those to rejoice, we have a terrible time. We see that person near us that gets something, whether it's a house, uh, uh, a car, a possession, or uh, even something good like a baby. We see them acquiring those things. We see them having those things. And instead of rejoicing for them, we start questioning how could they afford it? Why would they do that? They, they, I cannot wait till something happens to them. And we get into this train of thought that instead of rejoicing with those who rejoice, we immediately get in a position where we question whether they are afforded, whether they deserve it, or whether they should have it. And these are our own sign of, of covenant. And last one, if none of this is enough, then you will feel that it's a sign of covenant if you're never satisfied. If you're never satisfied. Now, the point of this list, again, it's not a limited list. There's more to this. There's more signs of covenant than it is. But the goal is to show you and me that we're all at some point in our life have come guilty of, co- of coveting. And because we have been guilty of coveting, then we have to recognize that there's a danger to it. So what is the danger of coveting? The danger, Proverbs 14.30 says, A sound heart is the life of the flesh, but envy the rottenness of the bone." One way you can tell if you're healthy is if you have a good heart. And then I love the, the imagery here of envy being the rottenness of the bone. Picture that for a moment. If you ever come across something that is rotten, something that has been left out, maybe food. I remember uh, my mother-in-law, uh, she left uh, a potato in her car and we could not find it to save our life. And... That car, the moment you step in, you knew that something was up with it. You knew that something was wrong with that car. I mean, you might make the case that it was good to just to get it towed and destroy because of how bad it smell. This is the imagery that we see here of coveting. It is something that inwardly destroys us. You see, coveting has not only the potential to destroy us physically, but also spiritually. There is, no, there is very few sins in our life that can cause as much damage as coveting does. So that is the danger of coveting. But there is even a greater danger in that it, coveting takes you and me to a place of ungratefulness. I think, uh, I think that is very interesting how the nation of Israel had everything that they wanted. They had, or, or that they should have wanted, I should say. They were being ruled or, or guided by God himself. God provided for them on daily basis. When they needed something, God was there. When they were hungry, when they were starving, God provided food. When, when they were thirsty, 
God provided water. When they were cold, God provided a cloud of fire. When they were hot, God provided a cloud to prevent the sun from burning them. And over and over, God performed all these different miracles in their life, provided ways in their life where they could tell that God was present and that God cared for them. But the problem with coveting is that there's always a lack of gratitude. It leads to a lack of gratitude. In the nation of Israel, if you were to read in the Old Testament, you'll see how time after time, time after time, they went out and said, publicly said, it will be better for us to be in Egypt. It would have been better for us to be in Egypt where we were slaves, where we barely had nothing than for us to be here in the care of God. Or even to the point some of them say that it would, have been for, it would have been better for them to die than to be in the position where they were with God. And what you come to see is that because covenants leads you to a place of ungratefulness, you do not see the blessings that have been put in front of you. You think of Adam and Eve. You think of Adam and Eve when God created the garden. He provided everything that they needed. They have everything that they needed for supplies, their desires, their needs, their convenience, whatever you want to call it. And instead of going for it, there was one thing that they couldn't have. And Satan came and persuaded them to the point that they were willing to sacrifice everything for the sake of getting that. Think about Judas. Judas was in the inner circle of Jesus. He saw Jesus, ministry with Jesus, saw him perform miracles, preaching his word, talking about what God is and who God, what he's meant to do and what God was going to use him for for over three years. And yet we see how he missed it completely. Because his focus was not in Jesus or in his relationship with God. His focus was on what this world had to offer. He wanted Gains for this world over gains in his relationship with God. You think of David, a man after guns, uh, guns after God's heart. Someone who we will think was a great leader. He had flaws, yes. He made mistakes, yes. But he was a godly man. And what we see in the example of David is that even godly people are tempted to fall for the sin of coveting. When he saw Bathsheba from the balcony and saw her and thought that she was good, he did everything that he could to get Bathsheba. He was willing to sacrifice his position. He was willing to compromise for Bathsheba. And we see in the example of David that even those that can be said that are mature are subjectable to fall for the sin of covenant. But then what about you? What about you? How is the sin of covenant present in your life? I think about my, my own life. I was about 20 years old. You got to understand, I'm a middle child. Any middle childs here? I got you. You know. You know. I, we know. We, we relate. We relate in a special way. It's a middle child. I used to believe that I was, that I was born as a casualty. My mom is in here today. Mommy, you know, look, tú sabes te quiero. It, uh, I used to believe that I, was, uh, that I was just born by a chance. I mean, it was stupid, but that's what I believe. I believe that if everything was a chance. I believe that, uh, that my parents only loved my older brother and my younger brother. 
Why? Something simple like this. My older brother is two years and apart from me. My younger brother is three, uh, six years apart from me. So they will always get new clothes where I always just got the hand, the hand downs. Hand, hand it, yeah, you get it. Um, so that was my reason. Under those lines, that's what I concluded. Now, for the longest time, I was resentful to my parents. I did not like my parents. I will look at my friends and I wish I had their parents. I sincerely will spend times, times, and even pray that God will make my parents like my friends' parents. And then I was 20 years old. I got the opportunity to go to uh, an orphanage. This orphanage, I have already been ministry over and over for the, la- for the last year or so. I was very familiarized with the stories of the girls in this orphanage. I show up and my job was to be a translator. Now, as a translator, it's something special because you get to relate in an emotional way with those that you're translating for. So I'm there. I'm translating for this girl. I did not want to be there that day, but my job required me to be there. I didn't want to translate, but my job required me to translate. And so here I am sharing the translated the story from Spanish to English of this one girl who I heard her story and meant nothing to me. So I go on. I shared the story. She's done, and I'm like, great, we're done. But then I see another girl from the orphan is getting up. She wants to share her story. And I'm like, in the back of my head, I'm like, no, Lord, please don't have her do it. But yet she came and did it. So we translate her. Everyone in the room is feeling it. You can sense that, that, that the God, God is using their testimony to speak to their life. I'm sitting there with a hard rock heart. Nothing is getting to me. She shared her testimony. I'm walking away, and then I see, you know, way, Eric, one more. Another girl comes up, and now we start sharing her story. It, we're at this point, we're on the four girl, and I am tired. I'm mad. I'm annoyed because I don't want to be doing this. I didn't want to be there that day. And then I see there's one more girl coming. It was the fifth girl coming up. This girl was the oldest one. She never talked. I didn't know her story. I didn't know. I barely knew her name. She came up and said, I want to share my testimony. And then she started talking. She started sharing about the horrific things that her dad had done to them. How she, was, she barely escaped alive from, the, from the, the abuse of her parent. And then in addition to that, she shares that her family, her sisters, younger than her, are still under the roof of her parent. That she couldn't take her with her. And I'm sitting there translating, still not affected by the testimony. And it wasn't until I step away that I realized what had just happened. That I realized how my whole life I've been blessed. How my whole life God provided me godly parents that care for me. Parents that were not willing to compromise my relationship with God. That they were not willing to give me whatever I wanted just because that would make me happy on the moment. That they were willing to show me the ropes of Christianity. And I realized in that moment that I have been blessed my entire life. But the thing is, is that covenant does not allow us to do that. I was preparing on my message and I read this quote and I came across this quote and I'm going to read it to you guys. It said this, he who looks enviously on that which does not belong to him not only fails to obtain that which he seeks but also loses that which he has. That is the problem of covenant is that it takes away the blessings that you have in your life. It takes away the things that God has given to you. And it takes your attention away from those things that puts them on things that you do not 
deserve. It takes you to want things on the wrong way, at the wrong time, by the wrong, by the wrong uh, way of obtaining it. It takes you to do things that you're not supposed to do. It leads you on a path of sin. And finally, it takes you to a place where you are not satisfied. Where you say that whatever God has given in your life is not enough. We have, been taught, we have been singing about, singing about the, uh, what it means to have Jesus in our heart and what he has done for us. You see, God loved the world so much that he gave his begotten son to die on the cross for you and me. That while you and I were still singer, Jesus Christ died and rose from the dead. That even though you and I did not deserve to be saved by his grace, Jesus died for us. And just on the merits of salvation, just in light of the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross, we should all be here today saying that that is enough. That everything else in our life, possessions, cars, marriage, husband, girlfriend, you fill the blank. That whatever else comes second because we got Jesus. That Jesus is enough. But what we see here with the sin of covenant is that it does quite the opposite. The sin of covenant takes you and me to a place where we say that what God has given us is not enough. That the blessings of our life, that all the good things that he has given us that we do not deserve, it's not good enough. That that grace that he displayed on the cross for me and you is not enough. That that family that you've been given to, if it's a good family, it's not good enough. That that job that you have, that God could use you in a mighty way, it's not good enough. That's what the scene of coveting does. It takes away our attention from God and puts it on this world, on the things that this world has to offer. But we have this here and we see it all every day. I mean, any Sunday we come up, it's up there. That I have come so that we may have life and have it in abundance. That only through Jesus... We can have life and have it in abundance. That means more than you could imagine, more than I I could imagine. That is Jesus. That's what we get from him. And just on that alone, we should be thankful. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to give you guys a time to meditate. Over like a minute or something. Where I want you to think about your life. Think about those things that maybe you'd be covenanting about. Whether it's a better job, a better relationship, that you see someone else having a better relationship with their spouse. Maybe you've been wanting that. Maybe a better career. Maybe a better possession, a car or something, a house. Whatever it is, I want you to think about your life. And for today only, for the sake of today, just forget about you desiring those things. And think about of all the ways that God has blessed you. If you're a Christian... You've been blessed with the greatest gift in the world, which is the gospel. There's nothing greater than the gospel. If you're not a Christian, know that this amazing gift has been made available to you today. That you too can experience life in abundance. That what you have been seeking to find in this world will never satisfy you. That the only thing that can satisfy you is the gospel of Jesus. And this is an opportunity where you can make, put your trust in that message. Let's take the time and meditate on the, all the crazy ways that God has blessed you and me in our lives.
Lamentations 3, 22, 23 says, The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never comes to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. That is the God that we serve. That is the God that you can serve if you're not a Christian. It's a God that cares for you, who shows you, who loves you, who his mercies are new every morning. I pray that today and moving forward we can be a church, we can be a body that is more thankful about the things that God has offered than being dis- distracted for by the things that this world has to offer. Thank you so much for joining us today. Good morning and Maranatha.